We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. Take it away, Monster. Oh, you want me to... I know, right? I mean, it's just like... It's your... Your show about we whatever done we're talking this in about. So long, I forgot how to do it. Welcome <laughs> to another episode of the ES4 podcast. Thank you for joining us. I am Monster. Joining me is Sarge. Say good evening, Sarge. Good evening, everybody. And also Danger. Say hello, Danger. Hello, Danger. And Someone was going to do it. Yep. It wasn't going to be me. Yep. I will always feel the need of the worthlessness. Hmm, need is a strong word. So tonight we will be doing F is for Frankenstein. I was hoping one of you would go, it's pronounced Frankenstein. No, my question was <laughs> the doctor or the monster. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Oh, so, the bride. Uh, we'll get to her. Sarge, what are your First thoughts, first thing that comes to mind when you hear the name Frankenstein. The Aaron Eckhart movie, I Am Frankenstein. Yeah, that's, that's what comes to my mind. I have watched numerous Frankenstein videos, movies, clips, comedies, spinoffs, spoofs, even the two German films called The Golem and the Homunculus from 1914, 1996. But they were they really they they dealt with they were German and it dealt with Jewish folklore. So it really wasn't like one of those movies you kind of want to watch or mention right now too much. Was that, a, was that Frankenstein? <laughs> yeah. And, and even though the golem from 1914 was a bit of an inspiration on the original 1931, I say original, but the 1931 adaptation, that's not Frankenstein. That's, the golem. That's a that's yeah. a little bit different. And but the yeah, man okay. who smiles is not the Joker. You know all these things. Yes. that we currently have have inspirations from before. Nosferatu was not Dracula. You know, right? But it was Dracula enough that they got sued. Now, danger. How do you, what what is your first reaction to Frankenstein? And if you say that horrendous film, I Frankenstein, I I might throw up. Say it. I want to see him throw up. It, I Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So when we were kids, my dad showed us uh, the original Frankenstein movie, and I don't remember all of it, but it was recounted to me multiple times that my dad started the movie and with my brother and I there, and then he went to go make popcorn, and he came back to us yelling about like the TV's broken because it was in black and white, <laughs> and. I don't understand that the way it's been told back to you because we had an actual black and white TV in the house. I don't, I don't understand why that was something that was said that we thought the TV was broken. No. So we watched that one and I liked it when I was a kid. I remember my brother was completely bored. I don't even think he sat with us and finished it, but I watched it and I, I had a good time with it. I would watch those old movies with my dad. So that's cool. On a previous episode, a couple seasons ago, we did you for Universal Monsters, and I kind of went into kind of my newfound love for a lot of these films and touched on the Universal film from 1931, Frankenstein. And that was sort of my 
I had seen his face in pop culture. I had seen, you know, the story, the creature in all kinds of different forms of pop culture over the years. But after watching the 1931 Universal picture is when I kind of actually kind of fell in love with the creature and the story. And that's what made me go back and read the book and start looking up other adaptations and stuff. So tonight, what I wanted to do was kind of run through sort of a little bit of the history of the book, the universal film, and then a couple adaptations and throw in a couple interesting facts here or there. And this is actually kind of topical because I don't know if you guys know this, but there is a new Frankenstein film that is in the works as we speak, and it's a doozy. I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me. They've tried to relaunch the Universal Monsters several times. And we'll get to the new film later. We'll, we'll wrap up with that. So but You brought it up now. I know, just to, just to whet your appetite, just to keep you on the edge of your seat. I, okay. <laughs> I'm building anticipation, okay? Yeah, thank you for labeling it. So let's let, let's just be clear now so we're not in the same boat we were a few seasons ago with Universal Monsters, okay? You have Frankenstein, the Doctor, and then you have Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Yes. yes. I don't remember no, that. Just, I don't remember the, the mix-up of that before. If we made that before, I want to apologize because I don't like referring to the monster as Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, I'm just putting it out there because a lot of people, when they think Frankenstein, they think they don't think of the scientist. They think of the monster. They they think of the monster itself. Yeah, and not the case. Yeah, but if you really delve into the text, isn't the doctor the monster himself? Okay, sorry. Shut up, um, doctor. <laughs> thank you. What's really funny is I've seen this meme over the years where it's the last paragraph from the book. And then underneath it, it says, and as the creature sped away, he said, if you just want to call me Frankenstein, I'm cool with that. <laughs> I, it is kind of confusing. And to people that aren't absolute giant dorks like me, it's it's really not that big of a deal. But yes, you are exactly right. Victor Frankenstein in the book, Henry Frankenstein in the universal picture is the doctor. The creature or the monster, it, it never has an actual name. Now, Sarge, in your German TV show, was there a Victor Frankenstein character? I don't remember. I know that we watched it on one of our deployments, and I just came back from a really long, hot, sweaty foot patrol. So I kind of was like, oh, shit, what you guys watching? Like, as I was watching it, I started to slowly succumb to sleep. Mm. <laughs> so. And as much as I love an old black and white film or an old silent film, if you're not prepared, it does not take much to start to your eyelids start to get a little heavy. I understand. If you're not prepared for a race on Sunday, it is easy to do the same thing. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. So Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus, as it was titled, was written by Mary Shelley and was first published in January, on January 1st, 1818. What's interesting, though, is it was actually published anonymously. Now, I couldn't find exactly why, but I would have to assume that it's because it was written by a woman, yeah. and not just a woman, but a very 
young woman. She was only 18 when she first started working on it, and she was 20 when it was finally published. Same thing for the publisher or the author of The Outsiders went by a like acronym, basically, instead of her actual name. And it was for the same reasons. Gotcha. Now, we could do a whole episode on Mary Shelley herself. Her life is a tragic tale. Her mother, I, I don't remember. I don't want to get this wrong, but I believe her mother died at a very young age. Like, I, Sarge, I'm glad you find this funny. I was about um, to say. But there was a <laughs> I, 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 I just did a quick Google search for why was Mary Shelley's Frankie Stives published anonymously. Uh-huh. Right? And the answer is because she was afraid that the nature of the subject matter would cause such outrage that it found out it was written by a woman that she would lose her children and that was funny <laughs> just 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 the way you said it and then like as you said it it popped up on my screen and it's just one of those serendipitous things like there it is and what's really funny is to see the level of horror fear disgust whatever you want to call it that kind of changes over the years because this was published in 1818 yeah. About a hundred years later, when the film came out in 1931, there was some film adaptations before that, and we'll we'll touch on those. But that's sort of the first big one. They actually shot an intro for it using Edward Van Sloan, who was in the film. The The original Universal 1931 Frankenstein starts with Edward Van Sloan walking out on a stage and addressing the audience, basically warning them, what you're about to see is going to scare you. It's horrendous. We're warning you now. And when you watch it by today's standards, obviously it's very quaint. <laughs> but I think it, it was it, I think it was actually summed up really well in the beginning that Sarge fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, he fell asleep during something else. The, okay, okay. Not the universal monster version. But to your point, in 1818, the book was so horrific that she was afraid of losing her children. And to be honest with you, the book is a little bit more macabre than some of oh, the yeah. adaptations. But even still, by today's standards, it's it's obviously pretty tame. Right. Now, what's, what is kind of cool, and I don't want to go through the whole book, but just a couple, touch on a couple things that are kind of interesting that are... When most people think of the Frankenstein films and mythos, they picture the lightning and they picture the mad scientist and they picture all these things. But the book actually starts in this really cool way with this guy named Robert Walton, who's on an expedition to explore the North Pole. While they're there, he sees this huge guy on a dog sled. After they see him go by, they find this other guy who's almost frozen to death. The frozen to death guy is Victor Frankenstein. They start talking to him and then Frankenstein basically gives the tale to Walton of the creature and what happened. The book is told basically from Dr. Frankenstein's perspective, but then also the creatures. So you're seeing both of their stories kind of happening, coinciding with one another. Another big part of this is Frankenstein tries to create life using 
alchemy and science. There's we've, not the we've big. We've all been there. <laughs> there's not the big electricity lightning bolt thing that we all kind of associate with it. That wasn't in the book. The other thing is the creature looks so much different in the book than he does in the films. What does he look like in the book as opposed to the, I never read the book. I know it's a short read, so but Yeah, it's 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 really not bad. So in the book, he's he's a little bit more slender. He's got long hair. The idea was that Frankenstein was trying to make him like an attractive looking person, but he is basically bits and pieces of different people you know they were trying to make like you know get the best hands and the best legs and the best face like it was supposed to be an aesthetically pleasing creature but then whenever it came time to do the most iconic version the 1931 you know boris karloff portrayal Jack Pierce basically came up with the bolts and the scar and the great big shoes and, and kind of what we associate with Frankenstein's monster now. I mean, the look has changed very little since then. Very little. And, and we'll get to some other versions of it as we go through. But are we yes. Gonna, are we going to talk about the bright green Rob Zombie monster version? No, because that's Herman Munster. That's not Frankenstein's monster. That's uh, technically a different person. Technically. Technically. Technically, yes. So in addition to the book beginning and ending with Walton, the guy that discovers Frankenstein, it also goes through, there's this whole section in the book that's not always portrayed in the films where the creature is basically hiding on a farm with this family. And while he's there, he does things to help the family, but he's also learning. Like he's kind of peeking in through the barn into their home and he's learning how to read. He's learning how to write. And this is where he starts to pick up vocabulary and he can speak. But When he first encounters the family, the first person he encounters is blind. So the blind person basically just kind of assumes he's maybe a little bit slow, but he seems like a nice guy. But then when the rest of the family sees him, he's this horrible creature. They all lose their mind. And that sort of is what sparks, oh, I am this evil creature that everyone despises. I want to take revenge on whoever made me. He's a monster with the perfect hands. Supposed to be, but you know, yeah, not yeah. really. No, and I don't remember any of that in in the movie. Okay, so so what's interesting is the 1931 film Frankenstein, directed by James Whale, is a very tight, short. I think it's like an hour and ten minutes long, and it's just it's it just nap. yeah, it just cooks like it is. It just rolls through. And when it came time to do Bride of Frankenstein, they basically just took a couple little pieces from Mary Shelley's book that weren't incorporated in the first film and then took a few liberties. There's no Dr. Pretorius. There's none of this kind of subplot there. And they reduced the family to just a blind man who lives alone. But that is in Bride of Frankenstein. A matter of fact, if if you remember... Karloff's portrayal of the creature does not speak in the first Frankenstein, but he does start to speak in Bride of Frankenstein. I never saw Bride of Frankenstein because I didn't get the 48 movie box set like you did at Target. 
what? Okay, so never saw Bride of Frankenstein, but I do remember him making some sounds in the movie, but I don't remember if he spoke. I I too have never seen Bride of Frankenstein. Okay, we will pause recording and we will come back in about an hour and 15 minutes so you two can watch that. No, seriously. Uh, You you two can come back. I won't be here. (laughs) I won't be here. All jokes aside. Okay, all jokes aside. And I'm not just saying this as a horror movie fan, as a Universal Monster fan, I'm being dead honest, and you can look at lists. I'm not the only one that will tell you this. The Bride of Frankenstein is one of the greatest movies ever made. It is so good in so many ways. It is it is scary. It is funny. It is topical. Highly, highly recommend watching The Bride of Frankenstein. Whatever you've heard, I guarantee it will surpass your expectations. It is a phenomenally made film. Well, it's great. See, what I've heard is really nothing except from you. <laughs> I mean, true, true, true. All, all the people I know that watched that when it was out are dead or old now. Yeah. <laughs> if if you are, and, a, and they call them the the Frankenstein Bride of Frankenstein moving pictures. <laughs> if you are listening to this episode and you have an IQ over seventy five and enjoy cinema like actual filmmaking go watch the bride of frankenstein it is a it is a classic film not a classic monster movie not a classic horror film a classic film in general it's but very well made see i think it'd be great to watch it but have like a short newsreel at the front of it actually filmed in like grainy black and white like they actually had when the movie came out oh absolutely no i agree but actually Full disclosure, the first three Frankenstein, Universal Frankenstein films are all really cool. You can kind of watch them as a trilogy. Boris Karloff plays the creature all throughout. They sort of pick up where the last one ended. Son of Frankenstein, which is the third one, and we'll talk about it briefly for for some other reasons. But the first two, you could almost watch back to back at the same time it's still going to it's only going to clock in at about 2 hours it's going to be about the length of a regular movie and they they go great together but James Whale and I talked about this on the US for Universal Monsters so I won't get deep into this but James Whale was a very openly gay director which was very unheard of at the time in the 30s and there is so much social commentary and gay undertones, especially in Bride versus the first one, that just adds this level of camp and, and just surrealness to it. You got to see Bride of Frankenstein. If you take nothing away from this episode, watch that movie. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I hear you. But so. I won't go watch it, but sure. All right. Just be uncultured and not enjoy your life. That's fine. Uncultured so, swine. <laughs> so the book it's not worse. <laughs> so the book mostly focuses, like I said, it, it jumps between Victor Frankenstein and the creature. And there's this this whole cross, literally cross several countries, like hunt between them. And it's very interesting. Now, Sarge, you had mentioned some of the early adaptations. Do you know what the very first adaptation called Frankenstein was? Movie? Are we, talk- are we still in the yes, film movie, genre? Movie, okay. Yes. Uh, no, not particularly. I was going to say, I do know that the book, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, has been, was to turn back in the day, edited for content repeatedly, depending on where it was published at. Oh, because sure. Because of yeah. all the stuff that was in it. But film wise, no. 
Well, it's interesting. You may have come across this in your research for a previous episode, and it didn't necessarily pertain to the topic perfectly, but the first film adaptation was just called Frankenstein. It was in 1910, and it was a film by Thomas Edison. That's right. That's right. You know, P.E. Yeah, It was only about 12 minutes long. It's just a silent film. But at the time, Thomas Edison loved the idea of filmmaking, sort of. And he just used it as almost like a proof, like what we would call today as a proof of concept. It's just to make some cool special effects, use a fog machine. It's not great. You can find it on YouTube. It's only 12 minutes long. It's kind of fun for what it is. I wouldn't expect it to be great being from then. You know, just saying, and 12 minutes. Just right. Well, I mean, it was, if I remember that correctly, reading about that, it was one of the first moving picture cinemas mm-hmm. that incorporated not only special effects, but the instrumental music parts mm-hmm. as yeah. well. So, like the chase scene, sound yeah. along with the, yeah. Um, yeah. I know that at that around yeah. that time, they were still experimenting with really getting it to work properly. Yeah, that's what I mean. It was more like they took basically the concept of Frankenstein just so they could have like a weird looking laboratory and then a monster. Like they, it wasn't necessarily that they were trying to tell a story as much as they were just trying to show what you could do with the technology in 1910. It's also hard to tell a story in a movie in 12 minutes. I don't Agreed. know. I can, Agreed. I can, it's not I can take the Fast and Furious movies and make them about three minutes. Family. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Cargo fast. Vroom, vroom. Carry on, monster. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Uh, so we already talked about the Universal Monster films a little bit, but what I one more thing I'll throw out there is that the film came out in 1931, directed by James Whale. Colin Clive as Henry Frankenstein. Mae Clark as Elizabeth. Edward Van Sloan was Dr. Waldman. He also did that cool little introduction at the beginning. And then, of course, Boris Karloff as the creature. Probably the most iconic, most visually memorable incantation of the creature. In the 19 late 20s, early 30s, Universal Pictures was starting to kind of enter some financial troubles and when they released dracula on valentine's day of 1931 it was an instant hit and they just made so much money off that movie that carl limley jr who was in charge of universal pictures at the time was like okay we're the horror movie guys and they immediately put into production frankenstein it came out the same year and again was a huge box office success and again at this time nobody had seen special effects and makeup effects like in the original frankenstein because the original dracula was almost like a stage play it was really well done it is very creepy dwight fry as renfield is still one of my favorite performances in all the films bella lugosi as dracula all that's really great but it's very slow it's almost like a play. It's it's like half stage play, half silent film. It's not an exciting horror film. Then this comes along and you've got people hanging and dead corpses coming to life and mad scientists and shit on fire. This was huge at the time. Well, Dracula, that, that original Dracula, there's not a lot of space for for special effects. I mean, Dracula at its core is not a special effects thing. 
you know, it's when you start really adding the gore of, you know, certain things like we get in, you know, more like Blade and whatnot. But Dracula is not a super special effects thing. It's very possible to do a good Dracula movie without special effects. It's impossible to do a good Renfield movie without special effects, which it was really impossible to do a good Renfield movie in the first place. But no, no, you could make a great Renfield movie, but they did not. I don't know. I was pretty pretty decent you're gonna call the new renfield movie decent and you haven't seen bride of frankenstein i will quit today that is blasphemy i am pissed off but what was a good movie was independence day which monster <laughs> still denies i will rip my shirt off like i for for those at home i am wearing a really cool frankenstein shirt because i was so excited i will destroy it through anger at you two it's a Frankenstein pop art, so he brought Frankenstein to the 60s, and cool. All right. Okay, so speaking of the 60s, we'll get there in, in just a second. As I stated before, the original Universal Frankenstein in 1931 was very loose adaptation of the book. And then when they did Bride of Frankenstein, they added a couple of things from the novel, but also went in a couple of different directions, including a character named Dr. Pretorius, which we will get to him near the end of the episode because that's important. But in 1957 came the second wave of these monsters with the Hammer Horror films. Yes, Hammer Horror. Love some Hammer Horror movies. 1957 was the first Frankenstein adapt- adaptation called The Curse of Frankenstein. Was that You're never going to guess. What, was that the one with, oh, hell, his name just left my brain as I was going to really say it. Yes, it is. Metal it albums is. And, and... Yes. Yeah, okay. What I was, was going to say... Damn it. I was going to say, you're never going to guess who it stars... It stars Peter Cushing and no, Christopher, Christopher Lee. Lee. Christopher Lee, yeah, that's what <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. Christopher Lee. Is now, did they bring Karloff back for those late 50s, early 60s Frankensteins? No. Mm-mm. Uh. Uh, and as a matter of fact, again, this is probably only cool to nerds like me, but if you go back to the Universal pictures, you had Karloff play the creature in the original Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and then the third one, Son of Frankenstein. But then as the movies progressed, they would do these monster mash movies like Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And and so you would have all these other people playing the monster. Even Bela Lugosi plays the creature at one point. I remember that. And Boris Karloff will show up on occasion in those films, but not as the creature anymore. Yeah, so you, you said Monster Mash, and did you know that the song Monster Mash is not about the song Monster Mash? It's about people listening and dancing to the song Monster Mash. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Yeah, uh, as a matter of fact, I do, because it is, as we are recording, November 2nd, and my kids have wanted to listen to a lot of quote-unquote Halloween music. So I've heard that song several times over the past couple weeks. <laughs> I have picked the kids up playing the kids bop version of thriller quite a few times and right that is terrifying i hate it now yeah so now i will say the person in my opinion since we're getting up to that time frame of the 50s and 60s fred gwynn i think did a great frankenstein frankenstein's monster 
We already talked about this. That is Herman Munster. That is not Frankenstein's creature. They are two different people. Well, they he is he, you know. Okay. It's a version of Frankenstein's monster. It is. You can debate it. You can negate it all you want to. I don't care. But yes, Sarge, Fred Gwynn did a great version of Frankenstein's monster. And and he I had, and I have made it very well known on this show of my love for the monsters. And yes, I agree. Fred Gwynn is a treasure and he does a, it's a wonderful blend of a macabre creature and Homer Simpson lovability. Yeah, a like, bumbling yeah. husband father figure. Yeah. 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 He's a clumsy. He was Frankenstein's monster. That's what he was. <laughs> God, I hate it when you do those stupid puns. Like they literally made me want to hit you. But that was a good one. Legitimately a good one. Before we move off the Hammer films, all I will say is that. If you go back, if if the 30s were a little bit too old-fashioned for you, if you go to the 50s and 60s, these Hammer films, they are all in color. They're still a little bit slow, but they, they always have at least one or two real bright red blood gory scenes. Christopher Lee's portrayal of the creature here is kind of cool. It's a little closer to the book, but it's still very different. He's almost like a zombie in this one. But it's Christopher Lee, so of course he gives it his all, and it's a lot of fun. It's not that dissimilar than the Karloff portrayal, but there is some bloody moments. It's directed by Terrence Fisher, who directed a lot of these Hammer films. He's really good. This is a good one. I've heard some of the sequels are actually pretty good, and I think, oh, I don't want to get this wrong, but I want to say it was Martin Scorsese said the fourth? Frankenstein film in the Hammer films, like Frankenstein makes a woman or something like that, is his favorite movie of all time. So these are not bad movies, even when they do get into the third and fourth sequels. I mean, they're they're fun horror movies. You know, they're yeah. The color uh, the colors on them are great. They're just they're fun horror movies. They're yes. great to play in the background while stuff is happening. Now, the next adaptation I want to talk about. Is a little film from 1974 called Young Frankenstein. Yes, Young Frankenstein. Mel Brooks film. Yes. One of his best, in my opinion. In my humble opinion, I've kind of wavered on this over the years, but the more I grew to love the Universal films, the more I can confidently say this is my favorite Mel Brooks film. I wouldn't say it's didn't, my favorite, but I would say it's one of his best. Didn't Peter Boyle play? the monster yes he did okay <laughs> he did a spectacular job That's what i thought and then it had oh hell what's his name willie wonka gene wilder gene wilder yeah. yeah there we go which is interesting because gene wilder actually wrote the film as well that's yeah, not surprising he yeah. is actually a very talented writer and yes like did not get like attention for his writing at all but he actually wrote a lot of the stuff he was in and if he didn't write it, he did a lot of like improvising on set and, you know, going, hey, this doesn't work in this part, you know, like Blazing Saddles. I know he had a little bit to do with the writing, but then he rewrote a bunch of stuff on set. Shout out to the Confused Breakfast, which you turned me on to, Danger. But they did an episode on 
Blazing Saddles, and they kind of talked about how Gene Wilder jumped on last minute and kind of tweaked some stuff. I think Gene Wilder is another one of those guys that is just everybody knows him as Willy Wonk. Everybody's he's seen so him much with more. Yeah, he's yes, so much more. He's so talented and so smart. He was, and he is sadly he passed. He was. Yes, yep. yes, but he is phenomenal as Victor Frankenstein yeah. in yeah. Young Frankenstein. Flashing back to Universal episode that we did. Yeah. Was it this version of this remake, the Mel Brooks version of Frankenstein? Uh, they reused set equipment. I remember that being. Yep. Yep. Like, or that. that in a bunch of them. So, so this is one of the reasons why over the years, this has become my favorite Mel Brooks film, because I think when Mel Brooks is satiring something that he truly loves, he puts a little bit more authenticity into it and takes it a little bit more seriously. He reused the sets, but he was smart enough to know, hey, everybody's seen Frankenstein. Most people that know what's good for them have seen Bride of Frankenstein, but not a lot of people have seen the third one, Son of Frankenstein. And that's the one that he borrows the most from in his film, which again, another good reason to watch those first three universal pictures, but you can just feel the love for this creature, this story coming from this and the jokes, it, it what makes this so good is that even if you are not super familiar with the source material, this is still hilarious. It still lands. You're still going to find it funny, even if you don't have an affinity for the original films that it's parodying. Was there ever an Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein or was it just Wolfman? Yes. Okay. I, I thought it was just Wolfman. No, one of the absolute, one of my absolute favorites universal films is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And it's actually pretty cool because it's Dracula and Frankenstein and Bella Lugosi actually comes back and plays Dracula. It's the only time he plays him a second time in a universal monster film. And that one, I want to say it's hold on. I'm pulling it up right now. I think it's Glenn strange. I think so. Yeah, Glenn Strange film. plays the monster. Yeah, who does a great job. Now, in, in that film, the monster is pretty much reduced to a lumbering beast more mm -hmm. than any sort of sympathetic character like in the originals. But, oh my God, that is such a funny movie. Again, it's a little dated, obviously. It came out in the yeah. uh, late 40s, early 40s, 50s. Yeah. But it's still funny. It's very slapstick, you know. But in, in the 1974 Young Frankenstein, like I said, it's directed by Mel Brooks, written by Gene Wilder. It's got Madeline Kahn, Terry Garr, Cloris Leachman, Marty Feldman as Igor instead of yeah, Igor. Right. Yeah. What hump? No, that movie has so many quotable lines. It is so good. Every Mel Brooks and, movie does. It does. It does. And to Sarge's point, Peter Boyle, I guess mostly known as Ray Romano's father on Everybody Loves Raymond <laughs> as the monster is so much fun. I mean, you know, Peter Boyle, I've never seen as being uh, one of the great actors of our time, but I always hate it when there's somebody who does like an entire novel's worth of credits and is just remembered for the worst one. 
Right. Pretty much. Yeah. I hated everybody loves her. I did not love Raymond. <laughs> I didn't love Raymond, but I did kind of like that show. That was one of those shows I watched with my parents a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did not love Raymond. I, I don't like Ray Romano. Now, here's here's an adaptation that I'm actually unfamiliar with. I just kind of overheard about this one. Part of me wants to see it, and part of me wants to pretend it never existed. A 1990 film called Frankenstein Unbound. I've seen Have, it. <laughs> no way. Yeah. It's okay. Not, it's not good. <laughs> no, no. Everything I've read makes it sound like the biggest dumpster fire ever. It was apparently it was Roger Corman's last film that he directed Threw a shit ton of money at it. It had like an $11 million budget, which if anybody knows anything about Roger Corman, that's, that's about, a, <laughs> that's about 11 times his normal budget. But apparently it involves Bridget Fonda actually plays Mary Shelley. And there's this time travel thing where the creature meets Mary Shelley or something. I I don't fully remember the, the whole thing. I mean, it was a long time ago that I watched it, but it is not good. And I remember watching it going, why is this ever, why, why was this ever a thing? But then I later started seeing more Roger Corman movies. I was like, okay, that was probably his, like his like best movie. he ever did. <laughs> I mean, he did cast Raul Julia to play the monster. That's true. Which that's uh, the, not doctor, the doctor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not, I, uh, I, I do remember Raul Julio was in it. I, I can't say that just because somebody cast somebody or did <laughs> something was a good move because even every director has a turn. I mean, Tarantino has Jackie Brown. That's gonna be my go-to forever. Yeah, that's your go-to on everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, they they put Randy Quaid in a Frankenstein movie. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. About that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> come on. I forgot. Yeah, I didn't that. even put that one on this list. I didn't even want to mention that one. This is a good time to mention that Frankenstein, the source material, is public domain. So anybody yeah. and everybody can make a Frankenstein film. You cannot be too similar to a pre existing film, but if you're using the book as your source material, it's fair game. You know what else is? I thought you domain? were going to go. I was about ready to say, I thought he was going to segue it, but you go ahead and take you it. guys take it away. Oh, no, I was go gonna, ahead. I was going to say Winnie the Pooh is also public domain. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I was going to I was going to be like, you know what else is public knowledge? You can go to podbean.com slash danger Sarge to get a free month of podcasting service. You can absolutely do that. Just read those terms and conditions. Make sure you understand what you're signing yourself up for. Get a free month on us. Those terms and conditions, they will apply but at no, all times. No, please. Let's let's go on a tangent about Winnie the Pooh as a slasher. No, no, absolutely. No, I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it. But no, I won't. I won't either. I know. However, that, I know that the uh, copyright on Mickey Mouse goes up in like five years. <laughs> won't happen. So 1994, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Have either one of you guys ever seen this? I watched this, the one with I watched this in eighth grade or ninth grade English class. Okay. Okay. I yes, I was actually sorry, listen- the one with Robert De Niro. De Niro. Yeah, De Niro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I actually listened to a podcast that made a very interesting just an interesting point. And they basically said that this film is directed and starring Kenneth Branagh. 
And Kenneth Branagh would go on to direct a handful of Shakespeare adaptations that were early 90s, but were really well done. Like they were kind of like Oscar Beatty period pieces, big kind of lavish sets and wardrobe and that kind of thing. And this sort of feels like that until the last 20 or 30 minutes when it goes completely off the rails. <laughs> so, okay. If that's actually not a really, not really not a bad descriptor for it at all, because where, you know, you had Frankenstein had a Mel Brooks touch. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was like, it had a Shakespeare touch. Yes. They and- took away from his iconic look. And it was like, I think that was the first time I ever saw that a Frankenstein monster like stitched together. Looked like an actual monster. Yeah, it looked like an actual stitched came from multiple human beings. And that had to play hell on the makeup team. Yes. And I will say, I'm sure it did. But I mean, some of the other special effects I've seen, that was some of the more minor, but I'm sure it was it was not fun. If it was just like a headpiece that he pulled on, I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah. It glistened. (laughs) And I will say for all of this film's flaws, and we'll get into this movie a little bit, is Robert De Niro really goes for it. Oh, yeah. I feel like, especially in some of his later films, De Niro kind of phones it in. I get the impression he really is a fan of the source material and wanted to do it well. He makes some interesting choices that I don't think always land. But it's still, yes, it's still an interesting portrayal. You can tell it was well thought out. So a couple things that I learned doing the research for this, because I had seen the film, being a big fan of the book, I knew that this film was supposed to be a little bit more of a faithful retelling. So I was very interested to, to watch it. So doing a little research, in 1992, Bram Stoker's Dracula, was a huge success. The one with Keanu Reeves, it was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Kind of coming off the success of that, they were like, okay, Bram Stoker's Dracula, let's do Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And they'll almost be like a companion piece with one another. And in, in the original, at the beginning of the whole thing, Francis Ford Coppola was going to direct it. And then he decided to pass that on to Kenneth Branagh and basically said, I will stay on as a producer. Well, for whatever reason, Kenneth Branagh went apeshit with this script and went completely bonkers. And when Francis Ford Coppola first saw the original screening of it, he was like, cut the first 30 minutes out of this and try to fix it because this is awful. And Kenneth Branagh was like, this is a masterpiece. It's my magnum opus, blah, blah, blah. And so Coppola took his name off of it. He was like, I don't want any part of this. This is this is a turd, and I don't want to be involved. Now, hindsight 2020, it's not the worst thing ever made. But there is a really great movie here that just kind of got messed up along the way. I mean, there was a good movie in Waterworld, but it was still a bad movie. And but in, like in the end, but like, listen to this. Okay. So you've got, you've got Helena Bonham Carter, you've got Ian Holm, you've got John Cleese. And then, like we said, Robert De Niro plays the creature and the script was co-written by Frank Darabont. 
He's the guy that wrote Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, The Mist. He worked on The Walking Dead. This dude knows how to write a script. So you've got all these things in place, but for whatever reason, Kenneth Branagh's direction just goes so overboard. A matter of fact, this, this is great. This is a couple sentences long, but I have to read it. Frank Darabont actually gave this quote. He said, this is the best script I ever wrote and the worst movie I've ever seen. He said, there's a weird doppelganger effect when I watch the movie. It's kind of like the movie I wrote, but not at all like the movie I wrote. It has no patience for subtlety. It has no patience for quiet moments. It has no patience, period. It's big and loud and blunt and rephrased by the director at every possible turn. Cumulatively, the effect was a totally different movie. I don't know why Brana needed to make this big, loud film. The material was subtle. Shelley's book was way out there in a lot of ways, but it's also very subtle. I don't know why it had to be this operatic attempt at filmmaking. Shelley's book is not operatic. It whispers at you a lot. The movie was a bad one. This was my Waterloo. That's where I really got my ass kicked most as a screenwriter. Brana really took the brunt of the blame for that film, which was appropriate. That movie was his vision entirely. If you love that movie, you can throw all your roses at Brana's feet. If you hated it, throw your spears too, because that was his movie. <laughs> that's that's passing the buck. <laughs> yeah, that is. There's not a better example of passing the buck. But you've got Frank Darabont working on the script. You've got Francis Ford Coppola producing it. Kenneth Branagh was not a joke. He's directed some some fine movies. You've got Robert De Niro. Why does this suck? Right, <laughs> right. 1990s, right? But see, but see. Wait, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm asking. Generally, what? Was it? 94, 94. 94. So, so it was, he was just on a coke fueled freaking rage. Is, is all it was. Yeah, maybe. I think actually John Cleese was a misstep in that as well. I don't remember the movie at all, but he's not a dramatic actor. He's a comedic actor. So he actually does a really saying, good I'm not, job. I'm not saying that it was all his fault, but you know. <laughs> he He's only in it for about nine minutes of screen time for a two hour long movie. So yeah, it's not really his fault. And to be honest with you, his performance is actually probably one of the better ones. I think it's um, easier for a comedic actor to go drama or horror than it is for you know, serious actor to go comedic. So yeah, if you've yeah, seen Bruce it. Campbell in anything other than a horror movie, you, you are spot on, <laughs> but it's not, I, I will say 1992 Bram Stoker's Dracula. I have my problems with it, but I love what they were going for. They really tried. This feels like they tried too hard and it doesn't land. I, I mean, I you know me. I don't like to give away spoilers, but what I will say it's from is 1994. This, it's it's in the 90s, man. It's I don't like to good. spoil movies from the 30s, okay? But what I will say is that this movie is, like I said, it's very Shakespearean. It's slow paced. It's sort of one of those like period piece, big costumes, whatever. And then the last 20, 30 minutes, it turns into this hard R gory nonsense 
the standout moment of this film, and I will get this doesn't necessarily spoil the entire ending, but one of the in the last half, there's this part where the monster bursts into the room while Brana and Helena Bonham Carter are trying to consummate their marriage. The monster punches into her chest and rips her beating heart out. <laughs> you know, I actually think that might be an issue with Brana is he tries to put himself in his own movies too often. So I think that may have been a problem in this one. I agree. And I think that we've talked about this on other episodes of this show and breakdowns for breakfast or music podcast. If you're into that sort of thing, where if they would have just sort of embraced one thing more than the other, it would have been okay. If they would have just said, Hey, this is a quiet, subtle film about life and death and all of that. Great. You want to go big and start ripping people's hearts out, go that way. But a, you can't really do both. You kind of got to stick to one and stay there. You can't have that dramatic of a tonal shift. Yeah. Right. So last thing that I wanted to bring up mm-hmm. at the, at the time of this recording, they have announced a new version of Frankenstein is in the works. And I am trying my absolute hardest not to just completely geek out and get my hopes up. Danger, you mentioned earlier this universal monster dark universe thing yeah. that they've been trying to get off the ground. Right. They did it with the mummy, which was terrible. And there was exactly, a, you know, Dr. Hyde, Mr. Jekyll, whatever. <laughs> they, Easter so in there with Russell Crowe. Yes. Yes. So, Instead of making a cool monster film and then try to create sort of a Marvel-esque cinematic universe, but that's what they were going for. But instead of making them small horror movies, they tried to make Marvel movies with universal monsters in them. And it just doesn't really work that well. Well, when Um, Marvel did it, everybody wanted to do it. Exactly. If they would make small horror films that connected to one another, Sort of like, you know, James Wan with the the Conjuring universe with the nun and Annabelle and all that. I feel like it would work, but instead they tried to go big budget. You got Tom Cruise, you got Russell Crowe, and they keep shitting the bed. But And they gave us a mummy with four pupils. <laughs> okay. I had to hit the timeout for a second. All right. This just super excites me. Remember when we did the Avengers episode, we talked about how when Iron Man died and all the possible outcomes for Iron Man, Iron you said Marvel. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Remember, remember how I told you that in the comic book series, like Tony Stark took his consciousness and everything he knew up, up to right before he died and he passed away. Mm-hmm. Right. And he, he had that. Right. Yeah. So it was just announced a new Iron Man four. Right. His daughter, Morgan, like I said and predicted, takes up the mantle. Happy gives her his consciousness that he recorded and he helps guides her through everything she needs to know about building the suit, piloting the suit, enemies, so forth and so on. Okay. That was just announced today. I'm just letting you guys know that. I was like super excited for that. Okay. Another yeah. prediction comes true. I actually saw the same announcement. I thought it was pretty neat, but uh, can I delete all that or do I have to leave that in? I don't care what you do. <laughs> so thank you. So I I have no faith. I have no hope because they've shit the bed 
several times now. You know, I think the Mummy movie with Brendan Fraser was actually pretty good. Like, I actually really enjoyed those first two movies. And then they got weird after that, especially when it got into, like, where you had a sequel of a spinoff, you know, sure. that kind of a thing. You know, what was it? The Scorpion King? I don't, I don't know. I know The Rock was in it. It was stupid, yeah. awful CGI. But if they were to maybe not try so hard. Okay. Now, let me tell you why I'm excited about this. Okay. It ain't got shit to do with Universal. It is not part of their shared universe, dark universe bullshit. This is written and directed by Guillermo del Toro. Could be mm-hmm. cool. But also at the same time, I thought Guillermo del Toro could do that wrong. And then he put out Crimson Peak and that shit was terrible. Okay. Crimson Peak is definitely one of his, in my opinion, lesser films i don't think it's bad i think the cg on it hurt it i think as a victorian ghost story it's not bad but again we've talked about this before the marketing ruined that film because it made it look like this dark ghost horror film and it's not it's a romantic victorian piece that has ghosts and i can't really fault del toro for that too much but at the end of the day it's still not a great movie it's okay it's not great it's not i mean victorian horror should be right up his alley so as of this recording the only synopsis that we have from imdb says the story is dr pretorius remember i mentioned him earlier he's one of the characters from bride of frankenstein He's trying to track down Frankenstein's monster, who's believed to have died in a fire 40 years earlier in order to continue the experiments of Dr. Frankenstein. Here is the cast that's been announced so far. Okay, I was already saying, I was going to make a comment about one of the cast members that I just read. Okay. Mia Goth. Okay. Andrew Garfield. Uh. Oscar Isaac. And Christoph Waltz. Okay, I'm I'm in. I I can see Ooh. all of them. I can I can put it all together except for Andrew Garfield. I have yeah. loved Mia Goth ever, ever since X and Pearl. I think she was wonderful in those. So I think she will fit in great. Andrew Garfield, I do not think ever will. Anyway, I think I, I think I think he could be a Victor Frankenstein. I think he could be the Victor Frankenstein or the doctor or okay. Dr. Pretorius. I pray is played by Christoph Waltz because you uncultured swine have not seen bride of Frankenstein. Dr. Pretorius. Literally. If you look this up, everybody says, says this. He is like John waters. He's like a drag queen. He is this flamboyant, over the top. He is nonsense. And I would die to see Christoph Waltz play that kind of character. I think it would be superb. So we're not connected to the dark universe. You've got Guillermo del Toro. You've got some legitimate, solid actors. Again, I'm trying not to get my hopes up, but this sounds like what I want. <laughs> Straight to Netflix, baby. Is it? <sighs> yep. Okay. I wish it would go to theaters, but whatever. I don't care. I don't have a problem with things going straight to Netflix. Yeah. I mean, the streaming services have put out some really good stuff. They've also put out some not so great stuff. So, I mean, you know, it going straight to a streaming service to me is 
the streaming services are, have just opened the door for more directors and writers to have an opportunity to get their stuff mm-hmm. out there. And, and at the end of the day, low risk, low reward. So, hey, low this risk, isn't the, reward? what I'm saying is if this isn't the greatest thing I've ever seen, I sat on my couch for two hours. And I, yeah. I, I didn't drive to a theater. I didn't spend 20 bucks. I didn't waste my night. I just, I sat on the couch for two hours. So it can't, it cannot, it literally cannot be worse than some of these other adaptations. It's impossible. So again, I'm not saying this is going to be the greatest Frankenstein film ever made, but I do think it is being, it is being made by people who love the source material and that alone makes a difference. Okay. All right. I feel like I feel like the mummy, the Tom Cruise mummy was made by people that were trying to make money and they thought they had something on their hands. Whereas Guillermo del Toro can do whatever the hell he wants. He loves these films. The only reason he made Shape of Water is because he wanted to do the creature from the Black Lagoon and couldn't get the rights for it. So he did his own kind of spin on it. That's how much he loves these kind of these universal monsters. I don't know. I I was really hoping for a lot more out of the shape of water, and I was very disappointed by it. Hmm. I just was. I, I think after Pan's Labyrinth and Pacific Rim, I think Guillermo del Toro got this, and and also some of his older films. I don't know if you've ever seen like The Devil's Backbone and, and some of those. Movie. Yeah, he kind of got this reputation as this really heavy duty horror director but he's got a little bit more drama in him and i think that that's why movies like shape of water and crimson peak didn't land as well because people wanted the big bombastic horror film and so I will go ahead and say frankenstein he's probably going to go in a bit of a romanticized you know, it's it's probably not going to be a straight up horror film, but the book's not really either. And if you watch the original films from the 30s and even the Hammer films, he's a tragic, sympathetic monster. Yeah. So I don't know. I Again, I'm going to try really hard not to get my hopes up, but I am excited. Hmm. Which the tragic and sympathetic part is why we were OK with naming you monster. Yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. Who is who is who is Frankenstein's monster's favorite singer? Michael Bolton. <laughs> I know we're not doing dad jokes anymore, but thank you for giving us that one. But that's that's all I got. That's all I wanted to talk about. I I I knew that they were coming out with a new adaptation, and this is a a creature that I love. This is a story that I love, and I just wanted to gush about it for a few minutes and throw out a couple of remakes and adaptations you guys may not be familiar with one more real quick i did mention this on a monsters midnight musings one time which i know nobody listens to but i've listened to every one of them thank you you're my oh i can't say biggest because i have nothing else to compare you to you're my fan my number one listener (laughs) yeah we'll call it the if you want to have some fun, if you if you drive around a lot or you like to listen to podcasts, 
Christopher Lee does some audiobooks that you can find on Spotify and YouTube and stuff. And he reads a slightly abridged version of Frankenstein. He also does Dracula. Those are so much fun. I read the books and then listened to those. And he, he everything Christopher Lee does, he's having a blast. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's a lot of fun. He changes his voice for different characters and stuff. I mean, when you're so old, you actually knew J.R.R. Tolkien. You know, you could just have fun with it. Yeah, do what you want. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. So as we've been wrapping up these episodes here recently, Sarge, what you've been up to here lately? What you've been consuming? I've actually been, and don't ask me to elaborate, but I've actually been uh, outlining a book to 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 write. Been taking care of that, mostly sick children because the weather change. We had what was it, eighty four degree trick or treat weather one day, and then the next day it was like thirty something degrees outside. That's yeah, North I, Carolina. I was <laughs> I was blowing leaves in my t shirt, and then. Actual Halloween night, it was freezing. And then Absolutely. the last two days has just been miserable. So, <laughs> yeah. What about what you, about- Danger? Oh, sorry. I kind of spaced there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> we all did. Yeah. So, I actually have not been consuming as much TV and such lately or movies. I have just been kind of putting in videos on certain things I've been wanting to, wanting to gain information on. Like, for instance, Fixing my floor from where my washing machine linked, leaked and destroyed everything. But I've also been, you know, kind of interested in going back and watching some friends since, you know, Matthew, Matthew Perry, Matthew yeah. Perry passed. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm not one to ever, you know, not listen to or not think about like what somebody did in life and go, oh, they were a great person. Now they're dead. No, you know, he had rough right. years. We're not going to pass over those. That's what they were. but. Really haven't been consuming a lot of TV, uh, aside from Friends. And, of course, always throw on Monster Advent- or uh, Ghost Adventures there at the end of the night just to kind of turn my brain off. Because, I mean, it's it's stupid. It's so stupid. Zach Fagans a- is a national treasure of humility. And, uh, like, like, he should be humiliated. <laughs> <laughs> it turns into, like, comfort food. It does. It does. It absolutely is that now. I actually watched Ghost Adventures a lot when I had a kidney stone, just laid up in bed, and it was a great way to pass the time and pass, you know, go to sleep and then wake <laughs> up, and it's still on. That's the only thing you were trying to pass. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like I could fall asleep during one episode and wake up dur- dur- during another one and go, oh, yeah, we're still hunting ghosts. Okay, cool. <laughs> What about you, Monster? What have you been watching, reading, listening to? So, a few years ago, this little slasher film kind of came out of nowhere called Terrifier. Yeah. And and I watched it, and honestly, I wasn't real impressed. It was a low-budget slasher. The gore yeah. was cool, but the acting was terrible. It really and was. Art the Clown was okay, but I just, I didn't really, whatever. Well, just sort of on a whim, a whim, I put on Terrifier 2. Yeah. And it's bad. I think it's fantastic. No, it's it's <laughs> it's great in a bad movie. Like, you know. It it's the only way I can describe it is if the film Halloween was directed by David Lynch and you had Peter Jackson brain dead levels of gore, but somehow worse. Like mm. It is the most disgusting, 
over the top violence I've ever seen, but it has this weird surreal what's real, what isn't thing going on. It's too damn long. It's like two hours and 20 minutes long. That's ridiculous. That's what's but terrifying about the movie. I watched it in like three or four segments. Like I watched like 30 minutes here. And then last night I sort of powered through the last hour and 15 or so. But I did not like Terrifier all that much. But Terrifier 2, just for the uh, just sheer absurdity of it, I kind of liked it. It was well, good news. Fun. Good news. Next, Next year, year there's a yep. three. It's going to be a Christmas slasher. I saw that sounded kind of what prompted me was like I started seeing in like my horror groups that I'm in on uh, Facebook and Instagram. They're posting Terrifier 3, Terrifier 3. And I was like, you know what? Let me try the second one. And I will say the second one is probably twice as good as the first one. I mean, it's better in every way. What's it's zero still not zero? great. What zero yeah. plus zero? Still zero. Yeah. Yeah. It's still not great. And if you don't want to be offended, then don't watch it. <laughs> but but for what it is, I, I kind of liked it. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. It was fine. So I'm interested to hear more about your book, Sarge. You'll have to wait for it like everybody else, even my wife. Yeah. I'll uh, can't wait. Yeah. Monster. Maybe I'll give two a, 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 another go. It is over the top. But, you know, maybe I'm I'm thinking three is going to be along the lines of Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> well, after watching two, I have no idea what to expect out of three. I'm kind of actually interested. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. Well, let's go ahead and start shutting this thing down before, you know, I tell a joke like, what does Victor Frankenstein call the graveyard? Human cool. resources. Yeah, I was actually. Thank you, Sarge. I, I Thank was, you. I, I, I kind of feel like Monster when you edit this, just go ahead and cut off before the punchline. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I don't like finishing episodes. So even though I started, I'd rather someone else finish it. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Check us out on our social media platforms: Facebook, X, and Instagram. Dangerous Sarge across all of those. Shoot us an email if you have a topic that you'd like for us to talk about, or if you have an input about this topic at some in some way whatsoever shoot us an email at danger and sarge at gmail.com please check out our other podcast tales from reddit and breakdowns for breakfast tales from reddit we just kind of tackle a topic at a time they're real quick episodes breakdowns for breakfast are a bit more in-depth we break down albums as a whole so fellas it's been fun it's been real but it's not but now i said that backwards you messed <laughs> it up all right good night everyone bye Long farewell, I'll meet us in a jet. It's over. Done. Done.